This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we build professional development systems to help engineers and their firms grow. You can now download our recently published AE Industry Trends Report, which contains answers to the following questions. How long will the great resignation last? Are firms still allowing remote work and how is it affecting their productivity? How are successful firms using data to create people-centric cultures? You can find answers to these questions and more in our latest report, which you can download at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. In this episode, I will be talking to Wayne Brown. He's an author, speaker, and organizational coach, and he's the principal founder of Skills for Executives Limited. We'll be talking about leadership and engineering and how you can master your behavior to become a more successful engineering leader. I am your host, Jeff Perry, founder of More Than Engineering and creator of the Engineering Career Accelerator Program, helping engineers and technology professionals with leadership and career coaching to create meaningful careers and lives. And this is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast brought to you by EMI, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development. Now it's time to jump into the main segment of the episode. Today I'm pleased to have with me Wayne Brown. He's the principal founder of Skills for Executives Limited. Wayne, welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Great to be here, Jeff. Looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Now, Wayne, as we get started here, I'd love to just have you tell us in your own words a little bit more about you, your background and experience, and what you're up to these days. That could be uh, a question that takes the whole session, but I'll try and keep it brief. I've been called many different things during my life. Uh, Nomad and adventurer come to mind, probably because of my willingness to travel and work pretty much anywhere. And as you might imagine, that's, that's really led me to meet a lot of really incredible, interesting people. And I been able to work in locations that probably don't show up on too many tourist sites. So it's been been quite the adventure. I've um, been able to work extensively across Australia and New Zealand, which is my home base, very detailed across Asia, most of the countries, India, Middle East, Europe, and to a lesser extent, but in some cities across the US. Overall, I think it's around 90 cities that I've I've worked in throughout my 45-year career. So, so it's um, been a journey, you might say. If I look at that period or my life as a whole, probably the first half was dedicated to my passion in sport. But the second half, more particularly and more pertinent to this, this conversation, uh, it's been driven by a curiosity primarily around people and the world that we live in. As far back as I can remember, I've been a people person, which has been a blessing because I was never a terrific or tremendous um, academic student, particularly in high school. And it wasn't until probably, I want to say, my late 20s when I was living in Perth in Australia that I developed a real love for learning. And I became involved in politics, in particular in the apartheid struggle in South Africa, and um, through a, a, a series of events, this 
period in my life was a real turning point. Not only my life, but my career as well. So I became engrossed in studying business and politics, obsessed with building businesses. Some of those were successful, some not so successful. But regardless, I learned along the way and the exposure was, was tremendous. I founded a couple of companies in that period. And all of this, not so unusual, I guess, but I've had a parallel life. So at the same time, I've been working full-time in the corporate world uh, for Fortune 500 companies. So it's been a hectic period, but a very enjoyable journey. One of the key takeaways, just to, to wrap up and come to your question, uh, to the last part of your question, you know, one of the key takeaways is that I've developed an understanding around the value of having others in your world, supporting you and guiding you and um, people that can help you develop and grow faster and become smarter. So at that turning point, I really made it a practice to have a group, I affectionately call them my personal board of directors, but they're really mentors, coaches, advisors, and typically from around the age of 30 until now, I've had four or five of these people in my world, in my life, and it's, it's been so valuable. So I'd highly recommend as an early takeaway for all your listeners, if you don't have people like this in, in your world, then you're probably doing yourself an injustice. I'm 62 at the moment, Jeff. So I've recently taken a big step away from that corporate safety net, and I'm now focused full-time on my own company. And that's where I channel all my effort. As you said, Skills for Executives, we have four divisions, which is coaching, facilitation, education, and communication. That's pretty much where you'll find me on a daily basis at this stage. What was the impetus or what helped you recognize that it was time to go out on your own in this capacity and do this sort of coaching i think you said the four divisions coaching education facilitation and communication right so how did you build around that how did you know it was time and that this is what you wanted to do at this stage there's a couple of things that have really pushed me to the decision it had been planned to start a couple of years earlier but the pandemic put it on hold I had intended my birthday is end of March, and I had intended to make that my swan song and transition uh, when I turned 60. But that was at the same time that the pandemic decided to throw a curveball at everyone. And so I, I thought it was probably best at that moment just to, to put that plan on hold and see where this pandemic was going to lead everyone. But um, so I'm about two and a half years late in starting the journey out by myself. Why did I choose these areas that I've been passionate about for the last 30 odd years. So mentoring in particular, I've been involved in professionally for 30 years, maybe even more, coaching only more recently since about 2016. But part of my role in the corporate world was uh, running learning and development for these global organizations and therefore facilitation is something that i'm very passionate about as well so you know education facilitation coaching they all kind of go hand in hand that's where this all stemmed from as i understand it one of your long-term mentors have been tony robbins is that right you can gather a lot of inspiration from him have you worked with him personally 
I got the pleasure of meeting him back in my 30s. I attended his um, Unleash the Power or Date with Destiny. I forget which one it was now, but I attended one of those and I got to meet him. I did the whole bit. I did the fire walk and uh, a very interesting moment in my life. And, it, you know, he said a couple of things to me that I've always lived with. And um, I think you're going to allude to one of them, which is about around decisions and how decisions really shape our destiny. And up until that point, as I mentioned, the first half of my life, I was very passionate about sport and uh, women and cars and all the things that young men tend to lean towards, right? And the last thing I was really focused on was, you know, where am I going in this whole journey? And I was pretty much letting life happen to me rather than, so I was a passenger in life rather than sort of steering that destiny and he helped me understand that the majority of our time we operate on autopilot and there's been so many studies i'm sure your listeners are aware as well jeff there's been so many studies around our unconscious mind and and how we function on autopilot for the let's say the majority depending on the task anywhere between 40 to 95 percent of our time on autopilot and when we're in that mode our decisions are being made for us Right? So we're not in control of our life. We're, we're really just the passenger on the journey. That was one of the early takeaways that I got when, when working with him and, and that quote. If I talk about him, I was first introduced to him through some audio cassettes that he brought out probably early in his career. He's one month older than me, by the way. So we're kindred spirits. <laughs> he brought out a, uh, an audio cassette package called Personal Power way back around this time. And that was sort of my introduction to see a whole different world that I'd never really been exposed to. And uh, so that opened up the door and, and uh, you know, it's been a constant journey ever since then. I don't know if I jumped around too much and, and it was a bit hard to follow, but yeah, he was very influential early in my life and has continued to be throughout. That quote that you alluded to, that these moments of decision that, that shape our destiny, right? Like, how do we find these decisions that we need to make? You were talking about how for a long time you didn't really have that path or had wasn't really considering, you know, where did you want your journey to go? And, and so you've had multiple times. We all have multiple times in our lives where we have to make these big decisions that shape our future. But the more that we can be intentional, and like you said, instead of just like letting life happen to us, like, you know, we all... <laughs> have times where we let that happen too, then we can start to shape our own destiny instead of just letting life shape us and society and everyone else shape us. And it's excellent. So as you've worked with so many people in so many diverse situations and cultures and countries and cities and things, where you've been an executive, you've worked with a lot of different executives and teams, developing, uh, doing training out on leadership capabilities. So from your perspective, Wayne, we can talk about all sorts of different challenges that leaders have, right? But what do you see as some of the most common challenges that leaders are struggling with in organizations today? I spend a lot of my time on this topic in particular, Jeff. It's, it's something that bothers me greatly and it's part of the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. I believe wholeheartedly that it's the uncertainty they're faced with in the world today in knowing how that they can transition as a leader into the 21st century. So we're all aware, probably in, in your field as much as anywhere, 
that for the past couple of decades, the rate of technological change uh, is increasing, is rapidly gaining speed. It continues to do so. You know, if we look at people like uh, Ray Kurzweil and, and futurists like him, you know, we're just at that upswing point in the exponential curve. And we're at that point where we're about to go vertical with the acceleration if his predictions are true. And what this is doing for all leaders is it's increasing the degree of uncertainty and the complexity that we're faced with in business. And, you know, if we look at the 20th century leader, and I'm one of those, the death knell for leaders today is if they stick in this linear thought process about how to run the business and to manage people. And they need to be looking at it from a far more complex perspective, a very systemic approach where they understand the whole picture so they can step back first to see the whole picture and they can see the parts of the picture and really start to understand the interplay of those parts and in true systemic form, if one part has some action or activity, then it's going to have a ripple effect to all of the other parts within the system. And so we really need to be able to understand that as leaders and um, prepare in advance for it. And so it becomes far more complex. In the leadership programs that, that I deliver, we spend a lot of time talking around this because this is a very hard concept to grasp how to lead through that environment. But if you can find the secret, and you know, there's some great examples out there. There's there's many visionary leaders that have the ability to step back and see that whole picture. They look outside in at their world, they think future forward and then future back, they're able to see the challenge and they don't get overwhelmed by it. And unfortunately, the majority of leaders, at least across the spectrum that I'm engaged with, they're not equipped or educated to understand and to cope with this. If we think of this in terms of the inverted bell curve, you know, there's always going to be the outliers who are those visionary leaders, but the majority are in that middle part and, um, you know, they're going to struggle and either they learn how to transition or they probably won't survive in the medium to, to long term, as well as maybe their companies won't either. It's interesting to think about all these challenges we're facing as it's exciting for engineers and engineering leaders with all the technological growth, but that deals with uncertainty, what's going to go down, what's going to go up and the new opportunities and things like that. So with dealing with all that and some of these challenges, let's bring this to, hey, say I'm an engineering leader out there and I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do I deal with this uncertainty that we're talking about and the opportunities there and take advantage of that? There's a lot about like leadership style out there. How do I find the right style that's good for my team and also fits with me and my personality and things like that? How do I identify that for me as an engineering leader and, and obviously our, our leaders who are listening here to adapt to today's environment and overcome some of these challenges? You've touched on a, a very critical and hotly debated topic in leadership styles uh, in academia world at the moment. So. A lot of people say, well, what's the one style that I should have as a leader? My own counsel to that question is that there is no one style that fits all. You have to be able to alternate depending on your circumstance and your situation. We can look at 
styles in a clustering or a grouping. And we can look back to, let's say, the middle of the 20th century, where we had the autocratic, the bureaucratic, the transactional leadership type. And then in the latter part of that period, we then transitioned more to being the Serbian transformational democratic approach. And so based on where we are today and with the expected continual changing environment, the complexity we're facing, in our leadership programs, we talk about the new clustering and probably the leading group within that cluster is the need for people to become agile, adaptable and catalysts. So, you know, it's the days where the leader was expected to know everything are long gone. The rapid rate of change that we're experiencing means that unrealistic and perhaps even a little naive to expect that. Nobody is superhuman enough as a leader today to have the capacity to be across everything. And so instead, what we recommend and what we're seeing and, and what people like Brene Brown are talking about is leaders need to become more vulnerable. And what that specifically is referring to in this case is the ability for a leader to say, you know what, I don't have all the answers. I probably don't even know all the problems that exist that we should be dealing with. But what I can do is I can be, bring together the best team and we can identify together the right solutions. And to be able to do that, you really need this clustering of different leadership styles. So what's really interesting is I get to talk to a lot of experts in the leadership space. And the general opinion that I'm hearing is that if you had to put your ideal grouping together, you'd say, okay, you need a visionary catalyst. So that's somebody that can look to the future. They can see the disruption on the horizon. And from there, they can plot their vision, their short and medium-term strategies. In the mix with that, they need to be agile so that they can constantly be tweaking those strategies and they can steer the ship in the right direction. If they're able to do that, they can become the disruptor rather than the disrupted. So they can disrupt their industry and they can be the driver of the changes rather than be the recipient of somebody else's change occurring on them, which is when all the chaos starts, right? So we really want to be able to get on the, the crest of the wave and start to see the future so we can prepare enough for it and drive that change ourselves rather than have the change. And to do that, you have to be that visionary catalyst. Yeah, and it's interesting. You're talking about visionary catalysts, but at the same time, as you mentioned, people like Brene Brown and others in, the, in leadership research talking about vulnerability, it doesn't necessarily need to mean that as a leader, you need to have all of the answers, right? Like bringing the right people around, like being open, being willing to be wrong, which is also connected to that agility piece like, hey, we started off in a direction. We need to be able to change course if we recognize that the direction that we took was not quite right. So doing your best to, to see in the future and, and anticipate problems and opportunities, but need to be able to adapt and move along the way and, and be willing to be wrong. That's okay. And it's it's a great trait to be willing to be able to say that and, and adapt accordingly. So as we get down to like, okay, maybe the, the style approach and you gave some great thoughts there. What about like down to the behavior? Like is if I'm a leader, I'm like, okay, what's the most important single behavior that an engineering leader could develop to be more effective as a leader? 
that's a really challenging question. That's there's so many variables around that because it, it depends on you know the role that you're engaged in, the industry that you're working in, and, and a whole number of variables. But one of the ones on the top of my list, and what I advise people is to become a value creator. So if you can establish a mindset where you're here to serve others rather than control and command them, then people will start to be inclined to follow you. And the best way to do that is to find ways to create incredible value for them. So if you put that into context, right, in business, we all have stakeholders. When we talk about value creation, there's there's two sides of value creation. There's the, the purest traditional uh, need to create value as a business to survive. So we need to create a, a product or a service for a cost X, and then we sell it for cost Y. And the, and the difference in between is the value we've created, you know, Michael Porter and, and his models, et cetera, right? On the other side of the coin, uh, if we go back to the 1960s, 1970s, in Scandinavia, there were a couple of professors who started to realize the need for us to take more notice of the stakeholders' needs rather than our own company needs, because the stakeholder are our clients. They're the ones typically that are paying us the money. And so they, they shifted their focus towards how do we focus on the stakeholder and create the value for them to ensure that they stay loyal and coming back to us as customers. And so for me, it's that happy middle ground. We have to have both. We have to focus on value creation as a business prospect. We need to make money, yeah? otherwise we're not in business. And or we also need to be able to look at how do we come up with value specific to our stakeholders that makes their life easier. So if I was to give you one behavior, that would be my pick. That value behavior or that value creation approach. Now, when we talk about behavior, sometimes it's hard because there's so many behaviors we might want to make changes, like our ability to uh, be more productive and focus in things, our ability to, to maybe control certain emotions and stressful situations and things like this, to be able to be someone who can stand up and, and speak up as a, as a leader in circumstances. There are plenty of behaviors we could talk about in certain circumstances, and that's why you're saying like, yeah, it's hard. It depends on, on where you're at. So let's generalize this. But let's say that there's someone who's wanting to make a behavioral change in some way, like they recognize there's the shift that they need to make to be more effective, to be a better value creator for their teams, for their business and things like that. Do you have any tips on how someone can become kind of the master of their behaviors and make this shift, which many times making these shifts is quite difficult. So what are tips and things you would share if someone has a change they're trying to make like that? As you said, there's many different behaviors you can focus on. The key really is to pinpoint where you want to focus in the beginning. But before I go into the specifics, right, about how we master our behaviors, I just want to reinforce a core message. And that is one of the behaviors that often trips us up is that, you know, as we move into leadership, we suddenly think we paint this big S on our chest and we become superhuman and we want to go it alone. Yeah, we try and go alone. You know, I could be working and looking after myself very comfortably one day. My boss comes along the next day and says, you know, Wayne, you've been doing a great job. I think I want to promote you to a team leader, a, a supervisor, a department leader. 
and all of a sudden the chest goes out, the brain swells, and I think, yes, this is my moment. Get out of my way. I know everything now, and I'm ready to conquer the world. So the core message that I want to give to all the listeners is don't try and go it alone. If you look at every successful person, in whether it's in sport, in business, in politics, in the community at large, they have a team of people that they work with that support them. So that's a core fundamental shift in many people's behaviour as they move into leadership. That's where I would like to start that with. As I mentioned earlier, I, in my own case, I have what I call a personal board of directors. I've selected people very strategically at different stages of my career where I know I have gaps, where I know that I'm not in the right mind or I don't have the knowledge base, etc., and therefore I build that team. If that's the baseline, then to come back to your question, for me it's about starting with your self-awareness. You really have to become self-aware of your behaviours. If we go back to the earlier part in the conversation about running on or operating on autopilot, most of us are not self-aware. If we look at theories like EQ, one of the core principles, self-awareness. And whilst you hear it and it sounds so obvious, to make it a reality is so challenging and it takes real practice. So self-awareness and then once you want to create that awareness, I have a, a number of steps that I would normally guide people through. The first is that you have to set your intention for making that transition or that change. So once you decide you want to become self-aware to adjust or adapt or modify your behaviours, then you have to really be clear and intentional about what it is you want. One of those moments of decision like we talked about earlier, right? Absolutely. There's a great theory um, I think came out of Chris Argus, the Harvard professor, and, and I want to say Donald shown there's a great theory or a model that all you listeners should look up which is the ladder of inference it's a seven rung ladder and it really takes you deep into this whole decision making understanding how your mind your brain functions pretty much daily so that's where i would start set your intention for change identify the areas you want to work on and then you have to really be deliberate there's no shortcut to this this takes work you have to be deliberate and consistent in your practice towards making the change. One of the things I, I educate on with my leadership programs is start with a simple action. Uh, most of us will fall immediately into a routine the moment we open our eyes. And so if you want to make a conscious change, start with the moment you open your eyes, change the story that starts to play. If you typically wake up and your mind fills with all the problems that you've got to face in the day or the challenges you've faced the day before, then there's a great place to start. Right? So change the story that kicks in automatically to something that's more positive, and then you're going to have a chance to transition the way you want to during the day. But it, it's not a one-off shot. You have to continually try doing it and practice it to get better. And then as you're progressing... There's, and depending on what you're working on, there's a whole range of different things you can do, like you need to be conscious and monitor the negative chatter in your head during the day and how it impacts a particular behaviour you're wanting to change. 
Uh, you have to monitor the progress. You have to tweak it. You're not going to have a script that tells you exactly the right way to do it every time. That would be a starting point, I would suggest. Wayne, this has been a fun conversation. At this point, we're going to transition over into the Take Action Today segment of the show, where we'll get one final piece of actionable advice from you to give to our listeners. We'll be right back. Now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. Wayne, we've had a fun conversation, talked about all sorts of different things, your long career journey and leadership principles and and whatnot. As we finish off the episode today, what's that final piece of advice for those engineering leaders that you would give to, to start really leveling up their leadership approach and their career opportunities? I love this part of your podcast, by the way, Jeff. So thank you for that. Look, the what I thought I would share is three things that are on top of my list and that I personally follow and I share with my daughter as well. So I can't make it any closer to home. What they are is you need to become a curious listener. You need to become a knowledge broker and become a thought leader. Now, what that means is a curious listener asks questions and they listen deeply to the answer. A knowledge broker learns through the knowledge and experience of others, and then they consolidate that information themselves. And then finally, we take that, and as a thought leader, we reflect on it and take those lessons and shape them into something meaningful, but in a simplistic way that we can then share back with others. If I look at my own career and something that's really helped me transition from role to role and this is what i coach on heavily those three areas really are something i would recommend for all of your listeners thanks so much for that and i hope people take a lot of value out of this and everything that you've been able to share with us today Wayne, I want to thank you for this uh, conversation. If there are people who are interested in connecting more with you, where can they find you and the things you're up to these days? Best place to connect, and I'm, I'm more than happy to connect with, with anyone that wants to reach out, is on LinkedIn. So you'll find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can visit our website. We have a lot of freebies on our website for people, which is coaching for the number four, coachingforcompanies.com. And of course, like you, Jeff, and uh, the this uh, podcast, we have our own podcast called the ET Project. ET being executive talents. So, yeah, welcome to join in and, and listen to some of our episodes there. Wayne, it's been a pleasure getting to meet you and talk with you and hear some of your insights today. I wish you nothing but the best as you continue forward in the service and the work that you do. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure, Jeff. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for the opportunity. I really hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and questions. You can go to www.engineeringmanagementinstitute.org where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in the episode as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books that we mentioned. And don't forget to check out any upcoming live webinars also at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Additionally, for any engineers who are struggling and need help taking the next career step, I've created some free training resources with an opportunity to join a more intensive program called the Engineering Career Accelerator. You can find more information at engineeringcareeraccelerator.com. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors. 
Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.